At Amgen, our mission is to serve patients. As a biotechnology pioneer since 1980, Amgen was one of the first companies to realize the promise of this new science by bringing safe and effective novel therapeutics from lab to manufacturing plant to patient. Amgen therapeutics have changed the practice of medicine, helping millions of people around the world in the fight against cancer, kidney disease, rheumatoid arthritis, and other serious illnesses. With a deep and broad pipeline of potential new medicines, Amgen remains committed to moving science forward to dramatically improve people's lives. To learn more about our pioneering science, please visit our website at amgen.com. Amgen, where pioneering science delivers vital medicines. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Innovations in Medicine, enhancing the medical community's knowledge of science and biotechnology. Innovations in Medicine is sponsored by Amgen, where pioneering science delivers vital medicines. For more information about Amgen, visit amgen.com. The first recorded outbreak of syphilis in Europe occurred in Naples, Italy in 1495. Authorities have argued over the source of that pathogen, but a new study suggests that syphilis might have been brought back from the New World by Christopher Columbus. When he discovered the New World, in other words, he also discovered syphilis for Europe. Welcome to Innovations in Medicine. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. Syphilis, of course, is a major cause of illness around the world, and its relatives have been and still are major killers in some parts of the world. Yaws and bagel, non-venereal diseases also caused by treponemal organisms. But the outbreak of syphilis in Italy in 1495 had been something of a mystery. Was syphilis lurking in Europe unrecognized for eons before the Naples outbreak occurred, or was it introduced from the New World? Here to tell us about a new treponemal family tree that might answer that question is Kristen Harper of Emory University. That's not Dr. Harper. Kristen, the first author on a newly published paper, is a graduate student and a rather precocious one at that. She works with Dr. George Armelagos, a noted syphilis expert who over the past few decades had traced the origin of syphilis to the New World, but who had not yet solved the mystery of the Naples epidemic. Welcome to the program, Kristen. Thanks for having me. So your paper is in the current issue of PLOS Neglected tropical diseases. Tell us, first of all, we'll spare the, the suspense, tell us what you found. Well, what we showed in this paper is that syphilis, or its progenitor, traveled from the New World to the Old World, and this happened pretty recently in human history. And put that together with the documentary evidence that we have about that first epidemic in Naples in 1495, and this really supports the Columbian hypothesis for syphilis's origin. Now, until now, it's been pretty much an open question? Well, it's a pretty controversial subject. A lot of skeletal biologists think that based on lesions found in skeletons, that treponemal disease only existed in the New World prior to Christopher Columbus's voyage. But there are also some people who have found interesting finds in the Old World prior to Christopher Columbus. So whether those represent treponemal disease or not has been pretty controversial so far. So the trick here is to look at skeletal remains and determine which of these people had syphilis or died of syphilis. Is that the idea? Right, exactly. So sometimes diagnosing syphilis in ancient bones is pretty hard, and you have to be able to date them with very high accuracy. How did you go about attacking this problem and trying to resolve this controversy? So what we did is we gathered all the modern strains we could find of syphilis, yaws, bezel, and we sequenced a lot of genetic regions from their genomes. 
And we use the changes in the DNA we found to try to build a family tree for these pathogens and figure out what was around first, what came most recently, that kind of thing. Now, are you looking at complete sequences? Are you looking at just particular points in the genome to compare? Exactly. We just looked at particular points from the genome. We looked at 21 different regions. And so all the changes we found were in those regions. It'd be really nice to do the whole genome someday for a lot of these strains. Is that just uh, technically cumbersome or time-consuming at this point? Expensive. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you find relations between these things, and it it seems clear enough to me that you can look at relations and determine which ones are cousins and second cousins, so to speak. But how do you try to put some time frame on this thing? How can you look at two different strains and make some conclusions about which came first and which came later? So what we did is we actually used an outgroup, so a strain that was kind of distantly related to all these pathogens. And what we used is rabbit syphilis. So using rabbit syphilis, we were able to show that yaws came first, and it seems like it's a pretty ancient human disease. How far back might that go? Might go back to our earliest ancestors. We know that yaws also infect the great apes, like chimpanzees, gorillas, even baboons. Uh, that had yaws. Right, they still have yaws. And then so yaws came from Africa to uh, wherever human ancestors went as they began to migrate? Yeah, our data suggests that yaws traveled with humans as they migrated all around the world. And now, where did you get the many samples you used for this research? And was there any danger or risk in working with these, or are these fairly easy to handle in the lab? So most of our stains came from the CDC's collection. We were really lucky to work with the CDC on this. And then two of the most important stains in the paper we got by actually going to Guiana. And Mike Silverman, who's an author on this paper, did that with his group Via Hafta. So they actually went to Guiana, which is the last known focus of yaws in the New World, and gathered these strains while they were treating patients. So this actually came, these strains came from patients. This, is, this disease is still evident in uh, Guiana or still occurring in Guiana. We are actually really lucky because in the last two years, a group is down, they've gone down there again and found no new yaws patients. So the, we might have gathered these strains the last year that yaws was around. You caught the there. last year of the epidemic, in other yeah, words. Yeah, pretty wow. lucky. Now, is yaws, is yaws pretty well eradicated around the world? Now? There's still some really active foci. Like we know there's yaws in the Democratic Republic of Congo. I believe there's also some in New Guinea, but it is becoming eradicated from a lot of areas. Like India is just in the news for having eradicated the infection there. For those of you who have just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. We're talking to Kristen Harper of Emory University, who's telling us about syphilis and its origins in the New World and how it might have got back to Europe. So let's get to the punchline now. If you've established that syphilis was in the New World or possibly in the new world before the old world, at least that's the argument you're making. How do you pin the uh, rap on Columbus? Well, what our genetics shows is that syphilis or its ancestor had to come from the new world to the old world. And we know that it was there by 1495 because we have pretty clear evidence from historical documents that it was in Naples. So somebody had to bring it from the new world to the old world around 1495. So pretty strong circumstantial evidence. They think that it was Columbus and his men. We don't have an eyewitness, but we got good circumstantial evidence here. Are we sure there weren't some Viking voyagers or somebody else uh, that could have been responsible at that time? You know, that's been proposed. The only strains that we got to look at were from South America, because that's the only place where people still get yaws. But if people were able to do ancient DNA studies, 
I think you could either confirm that or rule it out. Now, tell us a little bit more about the details of the, uh, I'm interested in the science and how you do this. You have all these samples of these different strains in the lab. Tell us a bit about how the genetic work is done from there. So we're pretty lucky because it's pretty straightforward. We just take these strains and we extract DNA from them and then we sequence it. And after that, it's mostly a matter of analyzing the sequences and looking for differences and using them to build that tree. The hardest part is actually growing the strains because syphilis still can't be cultured in the laboratory. We have to grow it in rabbits, and it can take up to 30 days to get one strain. Yeah, I, was, I came across that in preparing for this program, that it can't be cultured. Why is that? I mean, we're smart. We're smart enough to do that sort of thing, I would think. It must be that it has some nutritional requirement that we're just not able to find. People have been working on this for over 100 years, I think, and... We just haven't figured it out. We can get it to live in culture for about three days, but that's it. Now, how certain are you of the findings that Columbus must have brought it back? I know that this doesn't answer this debate once and for all, but is is the evidence suggestive? Is it good? Is it really good? How would you characterize it? I would say it's compelling. Like you said, I think there are still a lot of open questions about what exactly happened. And I think that if we can gather more data for more stains or by sequencing the whole genome, we can really pinpoint the trajectory of where these pathogens went, starting from our earliest ancestors to Columbus. And that would be really great. Now, there's also a paper appearing by Sheila Lukart and some others that sort of a commentary on your study and takes issue with some points and so forth. I presume you've seen this? I've actually not seen it. I just heard that it existed. Can you talk to us a bit about some of the criticisms that people have raised or are likely to raise and tell us how you would, you know, respond to those sorts of things? Well, I'm not sure exactly what their points were because I haven't seen the paper. Have you presented this at meetings uh, yet or had any reaction in that way? And I think one of the biggest limitations, and we knew this too, is that we don't have very many strains to look at. If you look at some of the, the studies where they look at malaria's history, for example, they're able to look at hundreds of strains. And if you can do that, you can get a really good picture of what happened to these pathogens in the past. But here we are really limited because people just don't get yaws very much. And we're not even sure that Bejel still exists today. So we are kind of stuck with what people had already gathered. And that was definitely a limitation. Can you just remind us uh, quickly, again, uh, many listeners may know, but what are the symptoms just generally of yaws and of bagel? So actually, the symptoms are kind of similar to syphilis. It's a three-stage disease where first you get a lesion where the bacteria enters your body. After that, it's kind of disseminated illness, fever, chills, your bones ache. And then in tertiary stage, your bones actually start to be remodeled. It actually affects the skeleton, and it can affect other organs. And that's, that's what gives us the evidence from the skeletal remains from way back when. Right. So since these diseases are so similar, by looking at skeletons, we can usually tell if they had a treponemal infection, but we can't tell whether it was syphilis, vaginal, or yaws very well. Now, the other two are not venereally transmitted. How are they transmitted? So yaws is transmitted from skin-to-skin contact. If you come into contact with an infected lesion, that's usually how you get it. And some people have even suggested that flies can be a vector and carry it from host to host. And Bejel, it looks like you get from oral contact. So by using a contaminated drinking vessel or sharing utensils, that kind of thing. But these are all treponema pallidum. Right, they're all treponema pallidum. But different strains or different subspecies? They're different subspecies, and in this study we showed that they are genetically distinct. So there is a good reason to think that 
they are different pathogens, although not very different genetically. Refresh us, if you can, about the state of syphilis infections and epidemics in the world today. Is it more common in certain parts of the world? What is the story? Oh, definitely. In the United States, syphilis infections are pretty low. It's definitely not one of the more common STDs compared to things like gonorrhea and chlamydia. It's more common in the southeastern United States where I live, so in places like Atlanta, Baltimore, even St. Louis. It gets a lot more common as you go to places like sub-Saharan Africa and Asia. Our guest has been Kristen Harper of Emory University. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you will find a program guide and podcasts of current and previous shows. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Innovations in Medicine on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Innovations in Medicine is sponsored by Amgen, where pioneering science delivers vital medicines.